to boil down our culture into PTO or happy hours or costumes is a complete disservice to the power of what this actually is. Because what is culture? It's the shared values and behaviors of a team. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Well, twice a week within the Path for Growth community, we host a casual yet intentional conversation with impact-driven leaders from around the country, and we call that conversation Office Hours. It's facilitated by one of our coaches, and it's one of my favorite things that we're currently doing as a community within our Path for Growth membership. And I spent a little bit of time recently thinking about why it's one of my favorite things. And it's actually related to something I heard on a podcast recently. It said that the era of people solving problems through a course is over. Uh, They said that there was a time, and it was actually a pretty short period of time, where people would take advantage of YouTube, take advantage of all of the online learning that's available, and they would operate in isolation and just say, okay, I'm working on growing my business. I'm working on thinking strategically. I'm working on the finances of my business. I'm working on our organization's culture. I'm working on our organization's processes. And they would take an online course, and, and they would buy that online course, and they would go through that and And then on the other side, they'd come out with the desired outcome, theoretically. Well, what happened is a lot of people stopped taking those online courses. They would buy them still, but they didn't actually follow through and act on them. And therefore, they started to see that, man, although I'm interested in these topics and I do want these outcomes, whenever it comes to actually following through on the actions that it takes, a course isn't a really great method because it's relying on my own individual willpower. And so that's why I liked what this podcast said. It said, the age of solving problems via course is over. The age of solving problems via community has begun. And I think that resonated so much with me because it's what I see happening in office hours within the Path for Growth membership every single week. Every single week, we have two conversations where it's impact-driven leaders who own or run a business that are coming forward with the questions they have, the challenges they're facing, the opportunities that they want to seize, and things that they want to learn and grow about. And it just becomes this really vibrant conversation where everyone that is a part of it has the opportunity and ability, but also I would say responsibility, to both consume, to learn, to grow, to engage, to move forward, to get value added to them but then also to contribute. And what we've found is that, man, one of the greatest, most sustainable ways for leaders, including myself, to be able to take forward action and move forward is to be moving forward in the presence of community and to know that, man, I'm not tackling this thing in isolation, but rather there's other people that are invested and involved in how I'm coming at this thing. But not only that, I also have other people that I'm invested and involved in as they move forward in various areas in their business. So it's become such a powerful time. And so what I wanted to do today is just kind of highlight some of the questions that have come up on office hours recently. And so Danielle Waldron, our customer success coordinator, takes really intricate, detailed notes on all of these office hours calls. And I just pulled up her notes and found some of the questions that have been asked recently that I thought it would be of value for us to walk through here on the podcast. 
But before we jump into these, I think that there is going to be legitimate value to us kind of giving some basic, high-level, principle-based answers to these questions. There's six or seven of them that have come up over the past couple of weeks on Office Hours. What I want you to know is that the value that we can extract from these questions in this medium is nowhere near as valuable as the experience that's on Office Hours. Why is that? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons why. But I, I think the biggest is that there's this culture that's going on within the Path for Growth community, and I wish I could take credit for it, but I don't think I can. I think our coaches have done a really good job, but I also think it's probably mostly the result of the caliber and character of the members that are part of the program, that it's like there's this culture of curiosity, and there's this culture of sensitivity to context. So when someone asks a question, they're not met with a bunch of explanations and answers because I think there's this shared understanding within the Path for Growth community because it's filled with leaders that we know that, man, the best way to help someone is not to give answers to them, but rather to extract answers from them. And oftentimes the answers to our problems about our business, about our life, about our growth, about our leadership lie within us. They just need to be unleashed. And so it's so wild how uh, someone will ask a question on office hours and then almost immediately they're peppered with different questions, different perspectives, things that cause them to think about their situation, their problem, their challenge, their opportunity differently. And it's amazing how it's not like it's this unilateral Q&A session, but rather it's a vibrant, rich conversation where we get to arrive at the answer together. It's one of the most powerful things I've seen occur in a virtual environment. And so I just want to give you exposure to that because at the end of walking through these questions, we're going to give you the opportunity to experience office hours. And I just want to make sure you know what to expect. So with that, let's walk through six or seven of the questions from the past couple weeks. These are ones that I felt like would be really practical for any business owners or leaders that are listening and that we could certainly extract some principles that apply to everyone regardless of stage of business. So the first one that I pulled is one from a few weeks ago. It says, what are the best practices for creating meaningful team culture? Well, I think it's helpful as we jump into this question to first make sure that we align ourselves on a definition of what culture is. And maybe in order to do that, it would be easiest to first describe what culture is not. Culture is not a ping pong table. Culture is not a healthcare plan. Culture is not a Friday afternoon happy hour. Culture is not a Zoom party where you wear digital costumes. None of those things are culture. Now, certainly those things can be manifestations of your culture, but they themselves are not culture. And to boil down our culture into PTO or happy hours or costumes is a complete disservice to the power of what this actually is. Because what is culture? It's the shared values and behaviors of a team. In so many ways, it connects to Seth Godin's idea of people like us do things like this. And you can see how whenever you start to look at culture through that lens of the shared values and behaviors of a team, well, Jim Collins' idea of culture eats strategy for breakfast it is so powerful and it rings so true because if you've got a good culture, you can weather a bad strategy. Conversely, if you have a bad culture, the best strategy in the world can't save you. 
And so that's why this question that was posed on office hours a couple weeks ago is so powerful because it was posed by someone that is at the early stages of building their leadership team and building their business. And they're saying, what are the best practices for creating meaningful team culture? And so we need to remember culture is the shared values and behaviors of a team. It was actually really cool. I was on this call. I was not facilitating this call. I was attending as a participant. And I think it was Olivia that was facilitating the call. And she drew out a lot of perspectives from the different leaders that were on the call and the way that they had engaged in culture. And specifically, there were two leaders that have been in business for a very long time and run really large, really effective and successful organizations that jumped in and first asked a bunch of questions and then gave their thoughts. And I thought that the thing that was so insightful about both of them and the way that they helped guide the individual that asked the question towards an answer that could be really valuable to him for the stage of business that he was at is both of them stressed the reality that your culture is not strictly built by your one-off moments. And a lot of times we give a lot of attention and time and contribute a lot of energy and effort to these one-off moments, these big parties, these big celebrations, these big recognitions. And certainly those things do represent investments into your culture. But they said more than that, the thing that will create the longest influence, and I believe it was Rusty that said this, he's been in business for over 20 years now. He said the thing that's going to create the largest influence is what are the rhythms that are in place? What are the structures that you you have in place to make sure you talk about, reflect on, dwell in the desired culture, not just haphazardly and accidentally, but consistently? And so do you have a bi-weekly team meeting? Are you evaluating core values in a weekly one-on-one meeting with your team members? Do you have a structure within your team communication to tell stories of how the culture is coming to life? Are there systematized awards and recognitions for reproducing the behaviors that you want to see repeated and celebrating the behaviors that you want to see repeated. And so I think that was such insightful advice as it relates to culture because it can be so easy to think we need to do these big extravagant things. And in reality, the greatest cultures that I've ever observed and been a part of, their goodness doesn't just come from the extravagancy, it comes from the consistency. And so Uh, What are the best practices for creating a meaningful team culture? Let's run through a few. First of all, define why do you exist in in an aspirational mission? What do you stand for in immovable core values? And where are you going in a clear and compelling vision that is really a robust qualitative and quantitative description of where you're going. That's the base level fundamentals. Now, that's what we teach within Path for Growth. And if you're interested in that, you might be a really good fit for our membership. But those are the first pieces is mission, values, and vision. And then there was actually a a piece of literature that I read a long time ago. It was actually in college that I read this that I still think is so insightful Once you have those things in place, you can reinforce them regularly by focusing on three areas, artifacts, rituals, and ceremonies. So what are artifacts? They are the physical objects that represent the culture you want to create. So this can be the core values written on the wall. This can be t-shirts. This can be challenge tokens. This can be trophies that you have, right? But what are the physical items that exemplify the culture that you're trying to create? 
Number two is rituals. This connects very much to the answer that Rusty and Tracy gave on office hours. What are the things that you are doing consistently and regularly that help concretize the culture that you are applying yourself to and that you desire? And then number three is ceremonies. How are we intentionally and deliberately celebrating the things that we want to see reproduced and repeated? And so we want to make sure that we're not just haphazardly giving out recognition because recognition is one of your most powerful tools as a leader and people crave recognition. So we want to make sure we are incentivizing and rewarding and recognizing the right things, which are the behaviors and values that we want to see repeated. So that's a a great kind of fundamental answer to that question. What are the best practices for creating meaningful team culture? First, have your mission values, and vision in place, and then look for artifacts, rituals, and ceremonies that will make that rhythmic and intentional instead of haphazard and accidental. Let's jump to the next question. How do you manage waiting when things do not move as quickly as you would like when it comes to implementing vision? (laughs) I bet many of you listening would find this question really relatable. How do you manage waiting when things do not move as quickly as you would like when it comes to implementing vision. So we always talk about within Path for Growth that leadership is taking people from here to there. And as we already said, part of your opportunity but also responsibility as a leader is to catch, cast, and coach a compelling vision. And so we've got to have this vision of the future that isn't just vague and ambiguous, but is really specific. And I know for a fact, this leader that asked this question has done a really good job of that. They've got a specific vision. But what's crazy is the minute you say, okay, here's where we are today. Here's what we want to be maybe over the course of the next three to five years. Well, then you've got this period where it's like, man, we we know what we need to do. And now we just need to be about the business of doing it. And it can often feel like it takes way longer than you anticipated and you expect. And man, I've been there before. I bet you have as well. What do you do in that tension of, man, this is taking longer than I anticipated? Well, the first thing that we need to remember is that there is dissonance created always whenever our expectations differ from our reality. And so one of the things that would be wise for us to do as a leader is say, okay, is it that the reality isn't what I think it should be or isn't what I want it to be and I need to influence that? Or is it that I may need to shift and change my expectations? But also what I love about what this question is asking is, How do I manage this? How do I operate in a way that is healthy in this season where things are taking longer than I wish they should? Uh, Number one, control the controllables, right? This is a basic piece of advice, but it's one that I often neglect or forget and need to be reminded of, right? Focus on the things that you can control and pray for the things that you can't. It's so easy whenever things aren't going as fast as we wish they would to dwell on, worry about, and complain about the things that we can't control. But you and I both know that's not helpful. And so focus on the things you can control. Don't abandon or neglect those and then pray for the things that you can't, like other people's attitudes, heart postures, work ethic, external circumstances related to the marketplace or the economy. Those are things that you don't have control over. What do you have control over? Your attitude, your actions, your investment, your behaviors, what you're learning, the way that you're growing, the way that you're adjusting your individual techniques and strategy, the way that you're leading. You can control those things. So make sure you're doing that. 
Next, I would say it would be wise to audit your inputs. What are you taking in? Because the things that you're taking in will flow out of you. And so for you to be the type of leader to take your organization where it's never been, you're going to need to do things that you've never done, which means you're going to need to learn in ways that you've never learned. And so it's really helpful for me anytime we're stretching ourselves into new territory as a business for me to make sure I look in the mirror and say, okay, let's audit our inputs. If I'm listening to all of the same podcasts, reading all the similar books and absorbing all the similar conversations and content and talking about all the same things, I shouldn't expect to get radically different results. And I'm going to be ill-equipped to lead us into a future that looks radically different than the one that I currently find myself in. And so we need to audit our inputs and make sure that if we want different outcomes, we're putting in different information, different content, different prayers, different conversations, different connections, different relationships. You shouldn't expect to get to places you haven't been if you're not doing things you haven't done is the principle there. What else should we do? Well, it's directly related. Ask different questions to get different results. And this actually really relates to the previous point as well, because so often our strategy and leadership up to this point could have been, well, the answer is within me. And one of the things oftentimes, if you're pursuing a vision that is bigger than anywhere you've ever been, you need to recognize that the answer likely in fullness is not within you. Rather, the answers are outside of you. And so that points us to two ideas. You need to make sure you're involving other people in the road to that vision. And then you need to make sure you're asking great questions, right? Because the quality of our results often reflects the quality of our questions And if we're asking poor questions like what should we do or how do we do this, well, what and how questions are often not conducive to getting different, broader, more expansive results. Why and what questions can often be really, really powerful to increasing understanding. Hypothetical and imaginative questions, although they can be more risky because they could take you down roads that aren't very helpful, are oftentimes also more rewarding because they rely on creativity and ingenuity. Ask different questions, get different results. Let's focus on a couple other things. If we're moving towards the vision and we're not making the progress that we want to be made, here's another thing that I would tell that person. Don't allow your internal state to be determined by an external outcome. And man, this is contribution to this question that I need to make sure that I'm regularly receiving myself. We become ill-equipped to lead towards a desired vision if progress towards that vision has a disproportionate effect on our internal state. And so if our peace and joy and ability to love people and sense of contentment and presence and gratitude is dependent at all on the progress of the business towards that vision, Well, that puts us in a position of great instability as a leader, and I would even say it compromises our ability to lead effectively because the times when we need to be most sober-minded, most clear-thinking, most objective, and most realistic as leaders are oftentimes when we are in crisis, but if our internal state is affected by that crisis and we just get taken on the whirlwind of emotions of whichever way the line graph is going, well, now we're not able to effectively lead. So we got to make sure that our internal state is operating independent, not independence, 
of the outcomes that the business is currently experiencing because that's going to make you the type of leader that can lead through it and out of it instead of one that is literally sucked into it. Let's focus on two more. Keep the vision until there is incontrovertible evidence of a better one. So I would obviously want context on this question to really give this thought, but this is really related to Jim Collins' idea of a 20-mile march, right? Who are the people that really win in business and leadership? What is true of the organizations that are truly great? Well, they go on a 20-mile march, right? They're not marching in a bunch of different directions in a bunch of different ways with a bunch of different effort exertions every single day. Rather, they're doing 20 miles in the same direction towards the same destination every single day. This is why it's so crucial. Have a destination, choose your direction, and then do your 20 miles every single day. But there will be days. Like I always think, man, I'm going from San Diego to New York and I'm doing my 20 mile march every single day. There's going to be days probably in like Kansas where I'm marching and I'm like, is this even worth it? Do I even want to do this anymore? Should I still be marching? Because this is hard. And here's the deal. Those are the moments when it's easiest to abandon the vision. You don't want to abandon the vision just because things get hard, uncomfortable, or inconvenient because oftentimes the presence of discomfort is the place where the greatest growth occurs. So you maintain the vision. You hold tight to the vision. You refuse to abandon the vision unless there is incontrovertible evidence that there's a better one. So you don't stop marching 20 miles a day to New York until and unless you've got incontrovertible evidence that Tampa Bay would actually be a better place to march to. And that's really crucial to understand because it means you don't just abandon the vision whenever you say, I don't want to anymore. You've got to have a clarified, compelling version of a better vision that you're going to because otherwise you leave vision all together and then you're just wandering in the wilderness. And while that may be a little bit more instantly gratifying and comfortable for the moment, It lacks any sense of impact for the future. Keep the vision until there's incontrovertible evidence of a better one. And then finally, modify your strategy. So we're going to hold tight to the vision. We're going to be willing to modify our strategy. If the things that we're doing aren't getting the desired results, we got to be willing to call it what it is and modify, to shift, to change. Now, obviously, there's sometimes where strategies need to take time to fit in, but make sure you're actually measuring, looking at, watching for progress within that strategy. And if you're not seeing the desired change as a result of strategic focus, you probably need to change your strategy. And changing strategy is good. A strategic priority is simply a best hypothesis of what the best thing to focus on to move towards the desired vision is. If that strategy isn't getting you there, then it's actually really good to say, okay, we thought that this was going to be the thing that would move us forward. It turns out that it's not. So just like we said we could do with a vision, we need to do that with a strategy say, what's a better strategy and how are we going to pursue it? So again, in answer to that question, control the controllables, audit your inputs, ask different questions to get different results. Don't allow your internal state to be determined by an external outcome. Keep the vision until there's incontrovertible evidence of a better one. Modify your strategy. Okay, we're going to do just a couple more. Here's a really specific question. It says, a key leader within my business has decided to depart the business and has taken a disruptive approach so far. How can I help her leave with dignity while protecting the business and team? 
I love the way that this uh, question is framed because the way that this leader in particular posed this question a few weeks ago is they were really focused on what are the things that I can influence and control because I know I can't influence all of them, but I want to make sure I'm maximizing the areas that I am. And people departing and people leaving, it's part of business that honestly can be really tough and hard because it requires a lot of things and variables to go right for it to go right. And that's why so often people don't leave organizations well. And that's partially part of the person and partially part of the organization's responsibility. And it's so cool that this specific leader is taking responsibility for the organization and say, hey, what's everything we can do as a business and as a team and that I can do as a leader to make sure that this happens well for her and for the business? Well, there's a couple things that come to mind anytime we talk about someone's departure. Communicate in person, one-on-one. So often, the, the harder things get, the more... Uh, We can be tempted to have conversations via text or via email, and that's actually the times when it's least helpful to have conversations via text or via email. So communicate in person one-on-one and then document what was talked about for both parties to reflect on. And so it's really important in conversations, especially related to departures, that we have documentation. And so we do want to document what was said and what was agreed upon. I used to know a leader that they would have conversations with people. And if it was really uh, challenging or difficult subjects, they would just send an email to themselves and to the person after the conversation, just with a bullet point overview of what was discussed and what was agreed upon. The other thing that I think it would be wise for this leader to do is to clarify expectations. So, so often it can be really easy to point out what we don't want to happen, but it's, it's much harder. And I relate to this a lot to clarify what we actually do want to happen In that one-on-one conversation, in person, looking that person in the eye, let's just be really clear on, hey, here's our expectations of how we want this to go. And that connects to a principle that is really important to reflect on. Unspoken expectations are front-loaded resentment. And so if we're not taking the expectations that are in our head, because there are always expectations in our head, and putting them out into the world and speaking them in a way that's really clear, well, then those expectations are going unspoken. And that means we're front-loading resentment or front-loading frustration. And so I'm not saying that everyone is going to be thrilled or go above and beyond to meet our expectations if we do voice them, but I do know that they're much more likely to meet our expectations if they actually know what they are. And so it's on us to think, okay, what am I expecting? And then how do I communicate that so they understand that? It's also a good reminder that transformational leaders always focus more on what they're for than what they're against. And so in this leader's particular situation, I think it would really be good for him to specify to that team member what the deviations are from what the expectations are and to call out the specific areas, like not generalities, like, hey, this isn't going well, but specific areas where it's like, hey, that wasn't great and I don't appreciate that and here's why. But more than spending time on that, I think it would be better to spend time on, hey, here's what this could look like over the course of the next two weeks that would make this an absolute win. And then maybe even ask the question of like, what would make this a win for you? I want to make sure that you're able to leave well uh, and with dignity. And so state what you're for and then invite them into the creative collaboration of how that plays out. Let's do one more I like this question, and it's one that actually comes up a fair amount on office hours. 
When should a business have a full-time administrative staff? I don't really enjoy working in the office, but I don't know if I'm ready for full-time office help. I also know that when I spend enough time in the office, the team is more successful due to jobs being better organized and so on. I really like this question because it's someone that's clearly really focused on being a lean organization, making sure they're not investing too much in overhead and that they're becoming fat and sloppy because there's lots of organizations that do that. But at the same time, it seems like they've got the humility to say, okay, what's the best use of my time and energy? And uh, when is the right time to pull the trigger on someone taking care of some of the administrative work that makes us more effective? I think that's a great question to ask. So there's a bunch of things that occur within office hours when a question like this is posed. We want to know a lot about the financial state of the company. We want to know about the way the person thinks about administrative activities. We want to know about the consistency of workflow and the consistency and dependability of profitable jobs in their business. So there's going to be a lot of questions around that stuff. But also associated with that, anytime we look at hiring, the first thing that we want to ask is, okay, is this a revenue-producing position or a non-revenue-producing position? position. Obviously, this leader is expressing some tentativeness about this hire because it's a non-revenue producing position. Whenever it's a revenue producing position, it's pretty basic and easy to say, okay, well, it's probably right to make that hire if you have the capacity to service the volume that that person could generate, then yeah, we should probably hire that person and put them on some type of a commission structure or a structure that really incentivizes them to grow the business and attribute their time and attention to the right results. Non-revenue producing positions can be a little bit tricky because they're non-revenue producing. So, So you're kind of trying to figure out for yourself and to theoretically look at your organization of how are we going to pay for this position? And it's really important, and this is really kind of clarified in the way our COO, Zach Estes, teaches value and waste, it's really, really crucial to remember that all overhead should be connected to the production of value in some way. And so although there's not a direct line to revenue production, you shouldn't make the hire unless you understand where the dotted lines to revenue production actually are. And so a great example of this is in this case, it's like, okay, I need some admin staff because right now I'm doing admin staff or it's not getting done. Okay, well, what are the dotted lines that that admin staff could potentially create for you? And maybe we just look at a 20-hour part-time position. Well, if we were to have that person do 20 hours of work, is that taking 20 hours off of your plate? Because if it's taking 20 hours off of your plate, you could probably, as the owner, attribute at least 10 of those hours to revenue-producing work. And so if you were really intentional about saying, okay, I'm going to hire this person for 20 hours a week, and I'm going to make sure that the 10 hours that I get back, once that work is delegated and once that person is fully onboarded, is going to go to revenue-producing activity, well, then that person probably pays for themselves like really quick because of the time that they just bought you. And then we could also start to make educated guesses, although they're not going to be hyper quantitative about the value of you having a greater sense of energy and enthusiasm because you're spending more of your time doing the things that you actually want to do or the things that you're actually good at. Here's another way that a non-revenue producing position in this situation could add value to the business and therefore pay for itself. 
if their consistent focus on the administrative work increases the efficiency and effectiveness of the people that are creating and delivering value or generating revenue in the business, well, then that person probably pays for themselves pretty quick. It would be good to get data around how much do you think they could increase efficiency and effectiveness of people on the jobs by. But if your office work makes people more efficient and more effective and it's done inconsistently and it's something that you procrastinate because you don't enjoy it and you're not very good at it, well then, man, hiring someone that loves that, is good at it, and can be consistent at it, and then equipping them with the process and tools they need to be able to do it consistently, oh my goodness, if you're increasing the efficiency and effectiveness of your people out in the field, you should probably make that higher. The other thing that I would typically say in a question like this is, it's okay to test your assumptions and test your hypotheses. And so this is why if given the option to have a virtual worker, it can be really helpful to do that because virtual workers are way easier to hire fractionally. And so could you hire a fractional person maybe for 10 or 20 hours a week and just test your hypotheses and say, we think that if they take on 20 hours of this work and we systemize it and we get them up and running on doing it, then it would pay for itself pretty quickly. And then as you start to see that hypothesis prove true, then you can bump them up to 40 hours or hire a full-time role now that you have all the processes in place. But the biggest distinction there is making sure you're being really clear-minded about, is this revenue-producing or non-revenue-producing? If it's non-revenue-producing, what is the dotted line that you're betting on that you're saying uh, this connects to revenue production, increased revenue production that will pay for this role, and then some in this way? That's the goal. So a couple things before we close this out. I hope that this gave you visibility into the quality and caliber of questions that are being asked on office hours. And I also hope you see that, man, there's so many questions and perspectives that are available within the Path for Growth community that can just be so valuable to learn from and grow from and connect with and be energized by. And so with that, if you're an impact-driven leader that owns or operates a business and you're interested in everything that's going on in all these office hours calls, but also all of the 12 fundamentals for healthy business lessons that you would have access to within the Path for Growth membership, we're actually offering a 14-day free trial right now. We'd love for you to come check out what we're doing inside the membership. And we just believe so much in the power of getting to experience it and see it that it's like, man, if you do it for 14 days and you say, that was awesome. I learned a ton. I made a ton of really, really cool connections. And now I'm moving forward to do something else. That's totally fine. And we're good with that. Or if you wanted to move forward, you'd have the opportunity to do that as well. So you can learn more and apply for the free trial by clicking the link that's in the show notes or by going to pathforgrowth.com. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We're praying for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.